Wayne Clevenger, and today we are in Matthew 12 through 15, and Jesus is going to do miracles, he's going to talk in parables, and he's going to tell his disciples, you who follow me are allowed to know the secrets of heaven. I think that's kind of huge because that really kind of emphasizes that when we know him, we understand better where we're going. So let's get into it, all right? We get into chapter 12 and Jesus is getting ridiculed by the ones that should be the ones teaching about him. And so the the religious leaders, those Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes, they ask Jesus why his disciples don't practice the hand washing. And man, you know, I remember I worked for a soft drink vendor and your hands get really dirty and you don't get a lunch break because we we were packed in the day i mean there was one day i had like 80 stops and your hands get really dirty you can't go wash them this is way before covid and you know i'm like can we just stop calling it that can we just say pandemic and so I remember eating my lunch with some pretty grungy hands. And he talks about, Jesus reminds him about how when David was around, and he says, you guys are supposed to teach the, the scriptures. Don't you remember when David was around, when he and his men would get hungry, they'd go in? And they would eat the sacred loaves. Are you not appalled by that? And once again, he reminds them, this is the second time we've heard this. I want you to learn the meaning of the scriptures where it says, I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. This is once again, Jesus saying this, because he also said this earlier about them when they were, chastising Jesus for eating with Matthew and his buddies. See, anytime they're looking at people other than being people who need a Savior, he tries to remind them, hey, you need to show mercy. And I I think that's a good lesson for us, man, because we get so caught up in what color they are, what ethnicity they are, what uh, social status they are, how much money they have, 
how they dress, how they don't dress. And really what we need to do is see people. And, you know, I taught in this Bible class last week, and I, I questioned, my, I had a question for him because I said, I see you to a couple kids. And that's from a movie. And I asked him, what movie is that? And of course, none of them got it. And I don't know if maybe they just weren't tracking with me. One of the girls was close. I think she was on the right track. But it's from the movie Avatar. And... What's so good in that is that's seeing beyond the surface. That's like seeing in the depths of your soul, man. And what God, what Jesus is saying is quit looking at the exterior. Jesus, you know, God tells us all through the Old Testament, I don't judge people the way you do. And even in Isaiah 11, 1, when the prophecy comes out that Jesus is coming, he's not going to judge us the way people do. He doesn't judge us by our exterior, by hearsay, or by what other people say. He judges us by the heart. And so he is merciful, and that's what he's telling these guys. Come on, man, look at the bigger picture here. And I, just, I love that. So, you know, then he gets, then they get all chapped with him because he heals a man on the Sabbath. The guy has a, a lame hand, and they know he's going to heal him. And so Jesus looks at these guys, and he sees their scowl. You know, you see people. I mean, even today you see people in church, and, and you know that they're scowling because they know you're going to do something with that new person. And they've been at the church longer. And my my thing is, you can't step on toes that are moving. You know, if you've been here this long and you're doing things that the Lord wants you to do, it's never going to be offensive to you. Perfect love is not offended. So if you're just sitting idle, eh, Maybe you should feel that way. And what's interesting was when the Lord Jesus healed this man's hand, and all he did was say a word, take out your hand, show us your hand, and his hand was healed, right? That's all it was. He just said a word. This made the Pharisees so mad. The Pharisees called a meeting to plot how to kill Jesus. Now, I'm sure that was an a culmination of many things because Jesus is the only Jesus's only chastisement towards people has always been towards these religious leaders, so they're probably tired of it, so you know, they're going to do what they got to do and they're going to eradicate their problem. Eradicate used to be this massive word you had to use in our tribe or you didn't seemingly know what you were talking about. Fortunately, we've got past that. At least I believe we have. But man, isn't that something? He heals a guy and it's Sunday and that makes them so mad that they call a meeting plotting how to kill Jesus. That's like a pastor, and this happens, 
who preaches the word and he preaches it so boldly and there's so much convicting power in it that says, you know, you're not living right, that to get this message from the Lord out of their church, they, the board calls a meeting and decides how are we going to get rid of this pastor? You know, because we need someone that's going to preach what we want to hear, not something that's going to convict us of our sins. <laughs> and that happens all the time. So it really, Matthew points out, this is more of the fulfillment of prophecy. And then it this, this is worth reading because this is a really good description of Jesus. Look at my servant who I have chosen. He is my beloved who pleases me. I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He's healing people, right? He will not fight or shout or raise his voice in public. He will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. Finally, he will cause justice to be victorious. So he does these things to help people, and his name will be Hope. He does things to help people where nobody else would help him. And, man, that's that's the thing about idle, complacent churches man there's people out there hurting and we become like these religious leaders where we don't do anything but take care of our own take care of ourselves and that's not what Jesus was about he was about helping people so he goes around helping people and the people that are idle sitting there about themselves get mad about it and so when you get a new minister in that wants to go out and help people that goes against them and kind of metaphorically we plot how to kill the minister <laughs> and get him out of there no we got our own group and you know i've been victim of that myself so let's just praise the lord so jesus is accused now because he can heal people and he he performs miracles where blind can see, lame can walk, and this demon possessed kid guy is who can't speak and is blind at the same time. Jesus heals him, and so the Pharisees think, well, you know, because demon possession, you know, blind and and and. Uh, inability to speak you know that's a demon it's a demon for sure so the pharisees said he can cast out demons because he's a demon possessed himself which i mean come on man so the pharisees say he can do this because he's the prince of demons and so jesus says what any kingdom divided by civil war is doom. A town or family splintered by feuding is will fall apart. So if I'm empowered by Satan, what about your own exorcists? They cast out demons too. But if I'm casting out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has arrived among you. See, Jesus will say the word God because God is his Father. He is God himself. We'll see in an, uh, another gospel where he refers to I am a lot. And if we remember back with Moses, when Moses was like, who do I say sent me? He, God's reply was, tell him I am sent you. 
which is so cool how this all relates, right? So um, Jesus totally dispels this whole prince of demons things. He's like, no way, man. If I was part of them, I would make it worse. I would, I would make that more demon possession, not cast it out. And then he, he, here's what I love. He says, anyone who isn't with me opposes me. And anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. That is so good. That works today in anything we do in any situation. Organizationally, in the church, in anything that we need support with. If you're not working with somebody, then you're working against them. If you're just sitting there watching them do it all, then you're literally working against them. And that's truth because you're not helping the cause and we need help. Everybody needs help. So whether it's praying with them, whether it's uh, moral encouragement uh, and even physical labor, you know, to sit back and just watch everybody do it is like taking. And there's a lot of takers in the world and a lot of givers in the world. And what Jesus is looking for us to do is not be ones that work against us. He, we, there's enough takers in the world. He wants more givers. That's why he says, learn the meaning of mercy. <laughs> Have mercy and be a part of the organization. Don't just sit on the outside looking in and be opposing to it. Because if you're not working with them, you're working against them. And that's fact. And I love that part. I got that highlighted. And he says, every sin, because, you know, we'll learn soon that sitting around doing nothing is is a sin of omission for it's a sin to know what you ought to do and still not do it that's in uh first peter wow that's some serious stuff right and he says i tell you every sin and blasphemy can be forgiven and we got to think about that because you know there's a lot of stuff we do that's just flat out woo harsh right that's the word that comes to mind is raw harsh but there is one sin that's unforgivable and that's blasphemy of the holy spirit but see that's so hard to do because you got to be in the spirit to blaspheme the spirit and that will never be f forgiven because any and jesus kind of uh, expands on that anyone who speaks against the son of man can be forgiven but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven because you got to be in the Spirit to speak against the Spirit, which means there's another Spirit in you speaking against the Spirit. Are you checking with me? That means you're not of God. And if you do something like that, you're in a place you should, you should not want to be. That's scary stuff. And he says a tree is identified by its fruit. A tree is a tree can produce good fruit if it's a good tree. Because a bad tree it produces bad fruit. 
and we'll be identified by our fruit. And so that's when Jesus really jumps all over these religious leaders for their way of doing things and calls them a brood of vipers again. Man, wouldn't I would not want to be called a brood of vipers. And he says, how can you, who are supposed to be good, speak such evil? And then here's something that I really think is we got we to gotta mull this over. We got to really think about this. Because Jesus says in 12 verse 36, I tell you this. You must give an account on Judgment Day for every idle word you speak. The words you say will either acquit you or condemn you. Man, that's heavy duty. So if every idle word we speak, we, th- we say things that we think are harmless, but here's the thing. Those words could be the most harmful words ever. And I have a book written by my friend Rob McCorkle, Dr. Rob McCorkle, and it's called Words, The Life and Death, The Power of Words, and uh, it's Life and Death, The Power of Words. That's the world title. And man, that's so good. And it, it brings to light how the stuff we take for granted and the way we speak is can really turn the tide on our day and everything about it. And it's a lot of times the idle words we speak. So Jesus says all this and then they want a sign and Jesus says, oh, you know, some miraculous sign. And Jesus says, the only sign you're going to get, you adulterous people, (laughs) is... The same sign of Jonah, just as he was in the fish for three days, so will the Son of Man be in the ground for three days and three nights. So then he gets into the family of God, you know, and he's like, all these people are my family. So we get to chapter 13, it's the parable of the seeds, which is, you know, the good ground versus the bad ground. We got the footpath, the rocky soil, the thorny soil, and the good soil. And this is deep because, you know, this Jesus talks about the soils and, and he tells his disciples, this is where he says, you, my followers, are permitted to know the secrets of heaven, the kingdom of heaven. And here's the interesting thing. This really says that when we abide in him and his word, he will reveal the meanings of what he's trying to say to us through that. So it pays for us to be in close relationship with him. You know, and so the parable of the seeds has got multiple meanings to it, you know, and Jesus explains it out. But here's what I want to say, and I'm not going to go through all that because that's got many, many sermons in it, and you can read that. But the good soil, here's the thing, the good soil produces a lot of crop, right? We know that. But the sower is responsible as well. 
The sower is responsible for sowing the seed as well. If you're sowing, it's important for you, if it's on a footpath, to make sure that you protect that so that you can get that into becoming fertile soil. Because sometimes, you know, especially in third world countries, everything is like a footpath. If you put it on rocky soil, if you're a good soil, if you're a good sower, you do what you can to get the rocks out as you find them. Because like I, I was in a on a job site one day and, and there's rocks under the soil. That can make things not work out. But as we know, we can put all the matting down we want and the weeds and thorns will come up and choke things out. So even in the fields today, weeds come up. We have to keep cultivating. What am I telling you? It, we, If we want fertile soil as good sowers, we have to continually take care of the grounds and disciple these people that we're sowing seed with. We can't just throw it out there once and let what happens happens because if it is on a footpath, it's definitely going to blow away. That's going to the door. Let me leave you a track in the door and, and then it just blows away. That's going to the door. We get to talk to somebody. We pray with them and we leave and they like it, and then the next time something bad happens or something challenging happens, it's gone. That's going to the door, and we get to pray with them. We get them in the church once, and then the first time they get into something serious or challenging, the challenges of life choke out whatever they gained. No, because we're not there sowing and and keep it sowing into them. We have to disciple these people. And that's all I'm going to say about that. Because then Jesus goes on about the parable of the wheat and weeds and, and how, you know, if we just throw the seed out and the weeds come too, that's such a, we're just going to let it grow. And then at the end of the time, we'll separate the good crop from the bad crop. The bad crop goes to hell. The good crop goes to heaven. But I'm telling you, as sowers, we're going to be held responsible for that. He's going to hold us to that, and that's going to come up. The mustard seed, that's cool. If you ever see a mustard seed, it is like a pinhead, on like a straight pin that you use for sowing. It's that size. But it grows to be a super humongous tree or plant. And it's huge, and birds can nestle in it. That's what the kingdom of heaven is illustrated like. Man, it only takes a spark, you know? And he likens it to yeast, too, where a little bit of yeast goes a long way. And so then he, he, Jesus takes time to just explain all this stuff because you know the secrets of heaven. And it's really good. He goes to his hometown, and people reject him. And and that's often, you know, my friend goes through that a lot of times because he's from a town that he has a burden for and and people knew his past, so uh, they're very apprehensive and he has a hard time there. So 
Chapter 14 is about the death of John the Baptist. You know, he, King Herod didn't like the way he was always telling him, hey, you can't marry your brother's wife, and so he imprisons him, and then his wife actually gets a chance to get him beheaded, so she does. And then what's really cool is it's the feeding of the 5,000. <clears throat> Excuse me. So he feeds the 5,000 with five loaves, two fishes, picks up 12 baskets of leftovers. Jesus is the great multiplier, folks, and I'm abbreviating this really big so we don't go too long. But whatever you got, he wants, hey, his question to you is, what do you have? What do you have? Bring to him what you have and watch him multiply it. And not only will he multiply it, he will give you. And man, I could give you a testimony on that and how that worked out for us just recently with the college stuff we got going on. Two kids in college is not easy. But the Lord, I said, this is what I have, Lord. And the Lord multiplied that and we had basket. We had a we had leftovers, so let me just put it that way. God is so good. <laughs> God is so good, man. And then Jesus sends the guys across uh, to the lake to the other side, and they leave, and, and then he, he goes to pray. But as he's coming across, you know, he's walking on the water. And when they see him, and they're like, oh, it's a ghost. And Peter challenges. This is the only gospel this story's in there like this. Matthew, okay? And, and what's really cool is Peter says, if it's you, let me come to you. And Jesus says, okay, come to me. And so G Peter goes over the side of the boat, and he too is walking on the water. But here's the interesting thing. As he's walking on the water, you know, you keep your eyes on Jesus. This is an audio adrenaline song. If I keep my eyes on Jesus, I can walk on water. But he sees the waves and the wind, and he starts sinking, and he cries out, help me, Jesus. Here's my thing on this, people. When we cry out to Jesus and we want him to help us, we can get through anything. But a lot of times we get distracted by the circumstances around us, and, and it seems like we become overwhelmed. Here's what we need to pray, and this is what I pray often. Lord, help me keep my eyes on you and not the waves around us. Because when we keep our eyes on him, we stay on top of the situation. And in Peter's case, he, he would have stayed on top of the water. Now, of course, Jesus reaches out, grabs him by the hand, and picks him up, puts him in the boat. And then the waves stopped. It says the water calmed. And then they're like, whoa. He truly is the son of God. And that happens to us a lot of times. Jesus picks us up, carries us through, and then we're like, oh, man, he's so awesome. We love you, Jesus. Thank you. But the fact is, if we would just keep our eyes on him, we don't have to get all angst about the circumstances around us. We can just stay true to what he's already offered us. When he said, come to me. Remember, we had that verse earlier where he said, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. Well, even if it means walking on water, if we just keep our eyes on him 
and not the circumstances around us, the waves around us. He takes care of us. And man, that's so huge. So 15 we get to and it closes out with some really good stuff because once again, the the religious leaders are trying to pull the holier than thou card and and Jesus calls them out on it and says, you people honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me, which is from Isaiah, a prophecy from Isaiah. And he, and he says, their worship is a farce for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. He says, man, you guys are telling people they got to do this when they really should be following God's will. And he's more concerned about uh the age-old tradition that they have of uh, hand-washing, which I probably already said something about that. But here's the thing. Jesus is like, this is what gives you permission to eat whatever. It's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you. It's the words that come out of your mouth. Because from what comes from the heart are evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. That's what defile you. Eating with unwashed hands will never defile you, which I'm thankful for because my hands have been dirty many, many times. And then there's this Gentile woman who's got a daughter that's afflicted with an illness, and she asked the Lord to heal her. And the Lord's like, it's not my time yet, really. And she's like, yeah, but, you know, if I could just get the remnants, you know, the scraps, like dogs get scraps from the table, if I could just get the scraps. And he's like, man, what great faith. And she's a Gentile, you know. She's a Phoenician woman, and which we'll get out of another uh, gospel. And the Lord's like, man, I haven't seen this kind of faith anywhere. So, yeah, your faith is great. Your request is granted. He just says the word. And when the lady goes back, her daughter's healed. That's awesome. So we close out this chapter. Remember, he feeds the 5,000, and Jesus shows the people, <clears throat> excuse me, that he is the great multiplier. Don't forget that because now there's 4,000 people. He don't just stop with 5,000. He does it again with 4,000. And, but here's the thing. What I what I get out of this is he's just fed 5,000 with five loaves, two fishes, right? Gets 12 baskets of leftovers. And he says, hey, let's feed these people. They're going to be tired. There's a long way to go. And the disciples hit him with the same question. How are we going to feed them? And I'm like, I would think at this point it would be like, okay, what are you going to do? <laughs> you know? You want us to go see what there's, what we have? But instead, that's how they respond. How are we going to do that? Where would we get enough food here in the wilderness? <clears throat> Excuse me. And once again, Jesus says, what do you have? And they go, well, we got seven loaves and a few small fish. So once again, Jesus, the great multiplier, breaks bread, breaks fish, and they feed them all, all that they want. Now, it's 4,000 men, but, you know, there's women and children, too. So you can figure there's way more than 4,000, right? 
So if each man's got a woman, that's 8,000. And if, if each one of them has, let's just say they have one kid, just for the ones that don't have any kids. Now we're up to 12,000. All right, just just for sake of argument, let's just put that out there. They're all fed, and they get seven lo- seven baskets of leftovers. What a great multiplier. I don't know about you, but if I was in those shoes, I would have to say, Lord, here's what I have. What you going to do? Help me, Jesus. And man, if we had to do that in our life. So today, here's what we got to do. Know that your Lord loves you. And if you're going through circumstances, keep your eyes on Jesus, not the circumstances. And say, Lord, this is what I have. Help me through this situation and just watch him. Watch him go to work. Have a great Wednesday. We'll see you tomorrow. Be blessed.